nine in our His Church series. Um, one more week, and we will, we'll just do a kind of a wrap-up study next week, some review and some final words from the Lord regarding our church uh, next Sunday. But uh, uh, week nine this week, the outreach and commission of the local church. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip to Matthew 28, verse 18. And as you're flipping there, we'll pray. Lord, we just thank you for your presence here, that, that you were here before we did, uh, before we were here this morning, just longing for us to show up, Lord, to spend this time corporately in worship and glorifying you. And uh, I think every one of us here, just we, we just get to worship you and, and just sense um, your presence here right now. Um, Lord, as we continue on in just this glorious mission that you have for the church, uh, even this church, Calvary Chapel, um, Lord, would you do that? Do what no man could do in his speaking and, and three-point sermon. Lord, would your spirit call us um, to be disciples and to make disciples and to witness your love and grace to this world. Would you also empower us today by your spirit to do just that? Um, Lord, would no one, no one here feel a guilt trip uh, that they have to do something, but Lord, would they be spurred on um, and empowered on by you uh, that we get to be part of your glorious plan of salvation? We love you, God, and it's such a pleasure to study your plan for this church that you love so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, some famous last words. Uh, one famous last word was from George Appel, who was executed by electric chair in 1928. These words were, well, gentlemen, you are about to witness a baked Appel. Sorry. Didn't go over very well in first service either. <laughs> General John Sedgwick was a Union commander in the U.S. Civil War. Um, he was hit by a sniper bullet, and uh, just a few moments before he was shot, uh, his men were pleading with him to get down from the ramparts. He's going to be shot, and he yelled back at them, Oh, come on! They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. And he was shot. Um <laughs> James Rogers, not to be confused with Rogers, no relation, uh, was a murderer. And on his, at his final request before the firing squad, uh, James, is there anything you'd like? Uh, he says, why, yes, a bulletproof vest. <laughs> Pancho Villa, before he was uh, mortally wounded in an assassination, uh, said, don't let it end this way. Tell them I said something. Those were his last words. Winston Churchill said, I am ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. And here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 19, you're wondering what in the world is going on here. Um, we look at Jesus's last words uh, while, uh, concerning his earthly ministry uh, here. Uh, they're known to be some of his most important words as they're these last instructions to the disciples before he ascends into heaven in glory. Uh, this important paragraph in Matthew 28 uh, begins in verse 18, where Jesus, in his resurrected state, came to them and spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he'll go on to say, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, if you were raised in the church and you did scripture memory verses, um, you probably remember memorizing verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And you probably have that one down pretty good to some degree. Uh, but it's important that we don't just train our children or train ourselves in verse 19 until we understand verse 18. Even verse 19 starts with the word therefore, meaning go back and look why you're to go. Why you're to go and make disciples. Uh, and so verse 18 tells us that uh, all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and 
on earth. This is an incredible statement. You'll remember back in Matthew chapter 4, at the temptation of Jesus, that the devil set him up on an exceedingly high mountain and let him look over all the nations of the earth. And the devil told Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, then I will give you all these kingdoms. You'll notice that Jesus didn't argue with them like, how dare you call these your kingdoms? These are my kingdoms. And then they got in a wrestling match there on the mountain. No, uh, Jesus didn't respond to that. And of course, didn't worship the devil. Um, but you'll notice that at this point, the, the authority has been given back. Jesus came into this world fully God and fully man in that hypostatic union, that union between God and God-man now. Jesus, uh, God made flesh. He lived an obedient life as that God-man. He died a death that he wasn't deserving. And he rose from the dead also as a man, as that God-man, Jesus. He then ascended into heaven as a man, and he's bodily present in heaven at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession. In that right hand of the Father ministry, he has all authority. This is what's called supreme sovereignty. He has got authority in heaven. He has got authority on earth. And so before we go out into this world and make disciples in this great commission statement, we got to understand something very beautiful and very powerful. God is in charge. God is in control. And so as you go out into this youth ministry that you might have, or into this school, or into, the, into this office, or the warehouse, or you know, into the cubicle space that you share with three other people with a bunch of computers and you go in with the intent to be a missionary and make disciples you don't need to go in fear you can go knowing that you have been sent by the one who has all authority in heaven and all authority in earth we're being sent by that supreme sovereign and we're sent on mission now, we've looked in the weeks past at this threefold ministry of the church, a ministry of upreach, inreach, and outreach. Over nine weeks, we've accomplished that. Uh, we looked at the, the upreach ministry of the church, that our chief end as a congregation is to glorify God and to worship God. Then we took another, you know, probably six weeks and looked at the inreach ministry of the church, how we're to be gathered together regularly. We're to be considering one another. We're to be using our gifts to build up the church. We're to be giving generously. We're to be submissive to the authorities that God has placed over us, so on and so forth. But now that inreach portion of the His Church series is done, and now we're looking at the outreach Portion, this outreach ministry that we have as a church to reach out and be missionaries uh, in our city, in our region, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we go knowing that the one sending us has all the authority given to him to send. And it says there in verse 19, go, go there for everyone's on mission, whether you know it or not. Uh, you might be totally into politics and all you do is ever talk about Republicans or Democrats or something like that. Or, 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 you know, maybe you're all about the environment and all you ever preach is go green. How can you drive that big truck? That's an SUV. You know, get a little hybrid that runs on battery power, whatever. You know, you're on mission for that cause. All of us are on mission for the things that we hold centric in our life. The things that are centered, the things that we hold most valuable. And we're called in the Great Commission passage to be, be reminded that the greatest, most center thing of our life should be Jesus himself. That the mission that we ultimately should be on is to get the word of the good news of the gospel out not only to Prineville, not only to Crook County, not only to Wheeler and Deschutes County, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. This commission is to us. Now, two patterns kind of tend to emerge as we look at our relationship to the world. And in Jesus's prayer, this really long prayer, you think I pray, pray long? Jesus prayed really long. In John chapter 17, a whole chapter is his prayer. And in that prayer, he says in John 17, 15, I do not pray that you should take them, the disciples, out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. 
So one of the, the problems or one of our errors that we have in our relationship with the world is that we as Christians want to be taken out of the world. We want to be wrapped in some kind of a protective cocoon and isolated from anything that the world is. Anything, it's all carnal, it's all evil. And so I don't even, you know, homeschool my kids with the intent that they never see anybody ever, you know. Um, you know, don't let them go to the other end of Walmart unless, you know, they see something. You know, and, and we just, you know, or with ourselves or with our family time. No one comes over for dinner. Close the blinds. Shut up, you know, no, uh, unplug the cable TV. You know, uh, uh, you know um, and we tend to isolate ourselves. From the world. That's not God's plan. That's opposite of what Jesus has prayed. He would have just taken us with him when he ascended if that was the goal. He says, I don't mean to take them out of the world. I don't want to take them or, or desire that they would be taken out of the world. But while they're in the world, keep them from the wicked one. So that's one extreme is that we become so isolated that we forget to love the people in the world. God loves the people in the world so much so that he sent his only son to die for the people in the world. That's one extreme, to isolate ourselves from people in the world. Uh, the other extreme is to be so saturated in the world that we begin to compromise with the world. We become of the world and carnal like the world, lustful like the world, prideful like the world. We actually, in our essence, become all that is wicked in the world as Christians. And, and, and that's not to happen as well. That's the other extreme. And in that same prayer, in John 17, 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them or set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. And so we see as we're in the world, the more time we spend with Jesus and in the word and letting him wash us in the word. Ephesians 5 tells us that, that the word has that ability to wash us. Romans 12 says the word has the ability to renew our mind. The word of God, the Bible, the written revelation of what God wants us to know about him cleanses us and keeps us from intermixing with the world in such a way that we become sinful and carnal and look no different than the wicked ones of the world. And so those are kind of the errors that will happen, but it's not how the Lord has designed or intended it. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, we read the promise of, to Abraham uh, that through Abram's seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. All right? So through uh, the genealogy of Abraham, and specifically the word seed speaks of Jesus. It doesn't say seeds, Galatians tells us. Seeds is of many people, but one seed, Jesus. In him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. In that, though, the nation was to have this ministry to the world, that every tribe, tongue, and nation would be blessed. That's, kinda, that's just some of the beginning of the gospel that we see in the very first book of the Bible. All the way at the end of the Bible, in the book of Oh, you guys are on top of it today. At, at the very end, in chapter 5, you see one nation. No, 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 you don't. You see every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group around the throne of God, worshiping God. Do you see that the, the bookmarks of the gospel narrative of the book of, of the Bible start with, in you all the nations will be blessed, and by the end, they're all blessed. They're all blessed. So what happened in between here that caused this to come from this? Well, the how is right here in the Great Commission. It's the sending out. It's the going. It's being on mission. It's the procedure here in the Great Commission. Uh, one group of commentators paraphrased this commission to say, go conquer the world for me. Slightly off in that. All authority has already been given to him. Anyways, go conquer the world for me. Carry the glad tidings into all lands and to every ear. And deem not this work at an end till all nations shall have embraced the gospel and enrolled themselves as my disciples. I'll tell you right now that has not happened. What does that mean? It means we're to be on mission. That book Radical that I told you guys about by David Platt. Uh, has a list in it of all of the unreached people groups, all of the unreached tribes, all of the unreached nations. In India itself, there's some 300 different tribes who've never even heard of the name of Jesus. What does that mean? 
Let's get on it. Let's be on mission, all right? Let's pray that God would send us out into the harvest field. Matthew's gospel tells us, don't say such and such a date will be harvest day, all right? Such and such a date, that'll be harvest day. Jesus says, look up right now, and you will see that the fields are white with the harvest. They are ready to be taken. The harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. Then what does it say? Pray. Pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. You know what we're going to do at the end of the study today? Man, you guys, college degrees all over the place in here. We are going to pray that God would send us out into the harvest field. And some of you, by the end of this study, you might have a call on your life to another country. You might have a call to Mitchell. No. No, you won't. Um, Are you open to that? We pray that at the end of today, you'll have a care for the Great Commission. You'll see the greatness of the Great Commission. But before there's any talk of missional church, we have to see a missional God. We need to understand that being mission-minded is an attribute of the triune God himself. God himself created us and then we de-godded him and we rebelled and we worshiped the created thing, no matter what it is, you list it, person, place, thing, entertainment, luxury, whatever, we made it a God and we worshiped it rather than the one who created us and we sinned and we rebelled and we subjected ourselves to depravity, all right, to worthlessness, to futility, all right? In that time, God was on mission to save us. He called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees to be a special people that in him and through him, through his seed, through his offspring, all the nations would be blessed. He set up in the, in the whole of the scripture, in all of the stories, he's pointing to one day the hero will come and he will save us from our sins and he'll set things back in order. And so all of the stories in the Bible, they're not about you being the hero. They're not even about David being the hero or Joseph being the hero. They all are about Jesus being the hero. You just have to look for it. You just have to ask God to show it. Where is Jesus in the story of Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat? You know? And so you study and you look and it's there. And it all points to Jesus, the hero coming on the scene to redeem us from the bondage of corruption, to redeem us from our depravity and our wickedness. God the Father has a plan and he sent God the Son as the fulfillment of that plan. God the Son came and lived a perfect life, never did anything wrong, and yet died a sinner's death so that his righteousness could be put on your shoulders and your sin would be put on his shoulders. Then he rose in victory, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven in glory. He had a beautiful homecoming and all the angels in heaven said, you did it! And he assumed his place at the right hand of the Father. Then the triune God is involved. Then he sends the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell in us and to be upon us and to empower us for mission. God in himself, in his essence, his attribute is that he is a missional God all about redemption. And so we who are Christians, little Christs, are to be about mission as well. In 1952 in Germany, there was a great missions conference. They titled themselves the Missio Dei. In Latin, that's the mission of God. And by the end of this conference, they wrote a statement. Within that statement, they said... The missionary movement of which we are a part has its source in the triune nature of God himself. If God is a missional God, that means everything he writes is about his redemptive purposes. His plan of mercy, his plan of grace, his plan of redemption is unfolded. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, you'll remember this is one of the first passages we looked at to understand the church. It's in this passage that we see the beauty and the dignity and the worth and the value of the church. It's here in this passage that we have banners placed above us that tell us who we are, titles by God himself, where he says, you church are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people 
Who, me? Yes, you. Why? Well, so you just pat each other on the back and talk about how great you are. No. Do you see this word that or so that? So that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Why have you been called? Why have you been chosen? Why have you been justified by the blood of Jesus? Why have you been sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit and set apart from darkness? So that you may proclaim. And so some eight weeks ago, we looked at that word proclaim or declare, maybe your translation says. That means worship. So that we can worship him for what he's done. That he's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we worship him and we thank him. We praise him. But that word declare or proclaim also means witness. There's twofold ministry here. There's twofold vision and purpose for the church right here. That they be worshipers and that they be witnesses. That they declare the praises of him who called them out of darkness. Some of you here have seen things. What kind of things? Oh, you know, just think, all right? You've seen things. You've seen wickedness. You've seen hell. You've seen man at their worst. And God has called you out of that. I mean, you, there's a darkness and there's a darkness. And you've seen darkness. Know what I'm saying? You get to go and tell people, meth addict, freed from 20 years of meth addiction by the power of God, by the grace of God. I long for it no more. And the world says, what kind of power is this? What kind of power is this? You get to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and in the marvelous light. Psalm chapter 40, beautiful song actually that, that we sing sometimes. Um, it says, I waited for the Lord patiently. He inclined and heard my cry and he brought me up out of a pit, out of the miry clay, out of quicksand, if you will. Pulled me up out of the pit. And set my feet upon a rock, upon stability. All right? Why? So that you can just brag about how God chose me out of the pit. And, and, and here I am. I'm awesome. You know? You know? No. The, the psalmist goes on to say, Then he put a new song in my heart, and I began to sing it. Many heard it. Many were in awe. They were struck dumb with some sudden fear and terror. And they were moved to follow this God as well. We have been pulled out of the pit. Some of you, it just seems like a darker pit than others. But every one of us would be in hell for eternity. The same hell. The same hot hell. We've been pulled out of it for the purpose of telling others of God's grace, of his redemption, of his mercy. Are you telling anybody? Are you telling anybody? We're commissioned today to tell people. To sing the song that he's put in, you know, I was a meth addict. I would speed all the time when I was traveling, you know, and just tell of all your wickedness. I wouldn't know, but you guys um, would in your sin. No, not really. I would know. I do know. And I get to share my testimony as well of how he saved me and set me apart for him. We've been called to this end. We've been called to this mission. And we need to pray today. For our children, maybe our children are to be called to Mother Russia, you know, maybe our children are to be called to the Congo, maybe our children are to be called to go and help Kathy in the orphanage, maybe we are called to go out, do you think? We need to pray today that we would have open ears to hear, open ears and hearts to pray for our children and to speak the callings upon their life that God would give them. We're one, we, we want to be missional. It's kind of a buzzword that's gone around the last few years, but it's nothing new. It's the heart of God from the book of Genesis, a missional God, a redemptive God. One of the definitions from a book called The Mission of God says our mission means our committed participation as God's people at God's invitation and God's command on God's own mission with God's world for the redemption of God's creation. Did you catch how many times God was used there? What it means is God is on mission. God calls us to be part of his mission, to save his creation. It's his essence. It's an attribute of God, a missional God. In John 17, 18, that long prayer of Jesus' again, glorious prayer. In verse 18, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus would say in another place, A disciple's not above his master. <laughs> 
He says, I was sent, I was a missionary, I went, I gave up privileges and rights and all of these things, and I came to the cesspit of the universe called Earth, and I dwelt among my own creation who tried to kill me all the time and finally did it. And now I'm calling you to do it. He prays that to the Father. As you've sent me, now I am sending them. As you look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, also known as a commission passage, Jesus says to the disciples, and just before he says this, he says, go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Go wait for me. And when when you've waited, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In this commission passage, Jesus says, you're to be witnesses. You know what that word is in the Greek witness? Marturo. What do you think that means? You're to be martyrs for me. You're to be martyrs. You're to be living martyrs for me. And those that die will just show who the true, real witnesses always were. We're to be martyrs for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to come back to that Acts. We're just going to reference this Acts 1-8 passage. We're going to reference that 1 Peter 2. We're going to reference the Great Commission again and go back to the Great Commission. But I just want to kind of, in these passages, answer some who, what, when, why, where type questions, all right? So in what we've read so far, who is to go? Who's to be sent? Just the apostles, praise God. (laughs) That band of 11 that were around Jesus, like, oh, it's all on your shoulders. How long was this to last? Just for the next 30 years, if they were lucky. Then that's done. Not at all. That's foolishness. Surely not, right? Who is this for? It's for all believers, All Christians for all time. One writer said, as an eagle stirs up her nest and flutters over her young to excite them to fly, so Christ stirs up his disciples to disperse them over all the world. And that's what he's doing today in us. He's fluttering over. Come on, are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? I got something for you. There's more than this nest. There's all of that. Are you ready? Are you ready? You better say you're ready because you know he'll kick you out of the nest. That's not good for nobody. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, who was in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost to empower them to be witnesses? Only a select few of the church, only those that were called to be evangelists, only those that were called to be pastors were empowered by... No, no. Acts chapter 1 tells us there were 120 Christians in those days. That's it. 120 Christians, they were all together in the upper room with one accord, just worshiping and praying and fellowshipping when the Holy Spirit fell and empowered them for global evangelization. So who is sent? Who is to go? All of us. Isn't that exciting? God has ordained from the foundation of the world that you be a powerful missionary. You, 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 you. That's how God's ordained it. Anyone who's believed on the name of Jesus The church is brought into existence by the gospel and now exists for the gospel, for the good news. And if you will be a part of this mission, Proverbs 11.30 says, you who win souls are wise. There is wisdom in being an evangelist. Daniel kind of compliments that in Daniel 12.3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What, just some beautiful reward. God's, God's a gracious reward. You know, he's just a rewarding God. And he says, if you'll be a witness, man, there's, there's so much fruit. Paul will later on say that you who are saved are my reward. You're my joy. You're my crown in heaven. And if you'll be a witness, forever you'll shine. Forever you'll shine. Like the stars in the heavens. When we go back to really like the commission passage, the commish, you might call it. Matthew 28, 19. Where he says, go therefore, go because I have all authority in heaven and earth. Go and make 
disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15, another commission passage, another gospel account. He says, go into all the world. So Matthew says nations. Uh, Mark says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. All right. Matthew says, make disciples. Mark says, preach it. All right. We'll talk about that in a second. And then he says, to every creature. The difference here is in its worldwide compass and in its universal compass of where we're to be preaching it. And who knew that one day there'd be a bunch of guys up in a space station someday. So anyways, um, sin, huh? You know, you know, what do you think about Jesus? You know, oh, I'm not going to talk about that right now. Because in the commission, it says, in all the nations. And technically, we're out of that right now. So God didn't think that one through. No. Mark says, all the universe. When we're living on Mars, we're preaching the gospel to each other. All right? All of creation. Not only that, we preach the gospel to every creature. Have you done that one lately? Romans chapter 8 says, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. What that is all talking about is one day, all of this yellow jacket stinging and Canadian thistles and those dang goat heads we've got in our community, all of that will be like restored to the beauty that it once was, whatever that was like, right? And so when you get stung and when you're pulling that weed, you get to say, ha ha, God is going to redeem this stinking issue of sin. And I'm preaching it to you right now. And your neighbor's walking by like, preaching the gospel to all creation right now. Not to you. That'd be weird. Talking to the weed. Okay. Preach the gospel to all of creation. Do you see the universality of the objects to be preached at? I'm going to expect to see it from you guys around town, talking to the brick wall. So who's to be sent? Christians. All Christians. What are they to be doing when they go there? Well, Matthew tells us, it's very missional or missionarial, making disciples. Go into all the earth and make disciples. Not pronounce judgment like Jonah in Nineveh or Isaiah, not pronounce judgment, but call them to be disciples, make disciples. It's a major verb here and everything revolves around it. It means to make a learner out of people. Paul tells Timothy, hey, go and teach faithful men who will then go and teach faithful men who will then go and teach faithful men. It's a ridiculous Russian doll situation. Who will go, pay it forward. Okay, go and teach faithful men who will go and teach faithful men. Make learners. Now, it's not just learning that's concerned here in being a disciple. It involves surrender. A disciple doesn't only become a student or a pupil of his master, he becomes a slave to his master. One man said to disciple a person to Christ is to bring him into relation of pupil to teacher taking his yoke of authoritative instruction, putting it on yourself, accepting what he says is true because he says it, and submitting to his requirements as right simply because he makes them. Now, we chafe under that. You remember last week's study about authority in the church and how we just resist authority on every level. And so we chafe that if you're going to be a disciple, then you're going to surrender your whole life to the authority of Jesus and you're going to believe what he says is true because he says it. I don't like that. Hey, well, maybe you'd like to hear what Jesus says. You thought that other definition was rough. Listen to what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, if you aren't willing to die to self, then you're not willing to be a disciple. You're really not willing to follow me. And so in the same passage, Luke 14 goes on to say, you need to count the cost of discipleship. It's all or nothing. If you're going to go out and build a tower, then you count the cost. You count your materialist. You count your man hours and your labor. You count it all so that you can finish that thing 
well. You look like a fool if you miscalculate. If you're going to go to war against a nation, you make darn sure you've got the armament production, the assembly in line. You've got the manpower to go out and be slaughtered on the battlefield. Or else it's time to make peace and truce and, and compromise because you're going to be wiped out. You've got to count the cost. And Jesus says, you need to count the cost to be my disciple. And what is that cost? Everything that you are. Everything that you have. Everything that you love. If it came down to it and it was between your wife and your Lord, you choose your Lord. As the pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress is leaving his house after calling his family to follow Jesus, they refused. And he followed them, uh, they followed him down the road saying, come back, dad, come back, dad. And he covered up his ears and says, I choose life, I choose life, I choose life. When it comes down to it, who do you choose? What do you choose? Is he Lord of everything, Lord of all. You'd be making disciples. That means you're to be making slaves. As a slave, you're making slaves. How? Well, you start, Jesus says, by baptizing them. Okay? Baptizing them in the name or into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jameson Fawson Brown says, Baptism sets the visible seal upon the converts. Now, we know that you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. And yet, in obedience to the scripture, those who are saved will be moved to be baptized. You know, back in the early church, the early Christians referred to baptism as the sacramentum. And of course, that's been distorted a lot by the, the Roman Catholic Church, but still, they called it the, the sacramentum. And it came from a Roman phrase that meant absolute allegiance, uh, a Roman soldier's absolute allegiance to his commanding general. I will go into the arrows if my general calls me. I will sleep out in the cold if my general calls me. I will walk across the known world if my general calls me. I, am, I have taken this oath of sacramentum to be obedient to my general. And so the Christians would call baptism sacramentum. It was there in the, bapti- the waters of baptism that they declared to the world, the old Rory, you may insert your name, is dead. There's a new life. And so they would go into the water, symbol of their death and burial. And they would come up as a symbol of their resurrected new life in Christ, showing the world, I'm a new creation. I'm not my own. I was crucified with Christ, but now I live. And the life that I live, I don't live for myself, but for him who loved me and gave himself for me. And so anybody who refuses to be baptized shows that the effects of being a disciple have not taken hold. All right? Strong stuff. Some people put off being baptized unintentionally. Maybe that's you. There's a call today to you to be baptized in obedience to the scriptures. It's very important. Jesus himself said, such is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Thief on the cross, did he go to heaven? Was he baptized? No. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? No. But those who are saved, will be baptized in obedience to the scripture. Those who refuse have a mark. It just shows it's not certain that this all or nothing has taken hold in your heart. And so we encourage each other, brother, sister, let's go to the waters. Here's water. What hinders to be baptized? You look at the book of Acts, the day people were saved, the day they were baptized. So come talk to me if you haven't been baptized yet. But this is one of the, this is, The process of discipleship. Make disciples. How? Baptize them. Have them show the world this death to self, alive to Christ picture. To refuse to do this is to reject the very first principle of Christian discipleship. It means the Great Commission has not yet been affected in your life. That's all missional. The missional aspects of of, uh, the Great Commission. 2 Peter or 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we proclaim the praises. We declare the praises. It's missional at heart. Mark's gospel said, 
preach the gospel to all creation. Preach the good news. Did you know that the word gospel is euangelion? It's where we get the word evangelize or evangel. Uh, it means uh, it speaks of the good news of the battlefield. I love that, kind of in the military history and stuff, right? So I just totally picture this, like, sentry coming back to the kingdom from the battlefield, riding on his horse. <laughs> you know, he's just like, oh, oh, I guess there's good news. And he's going through the village. He's like, we've won the war. We've won the battle. Hooray, hurrah. You know, and they go, and he goes to the drawbridge, <laughs> onto the cobblestone with his horse. <laughs> you know, Everybody, we've won the good news. You know, we've won the battle. It's the good news. And everyone, oh, and streamers go through and you know, all that. Okay, that's preaching the gospel. Okay, it's not only or necessarily being able to defend creationism. I never opened my mouth about Jesus because I really don't understand how like, to argue against evolutionists. Don't worry about that. Declare the good news. Tell the praises of him who calls you out of darkness. Tell people the story of the Bible. Hey, look, I don't know like, how to totally, I'm not going to fight with you. I don't know the arguing. Can I just tell you something and have you think about it later? I'm going to tell you about a God who created us. We hated him. We rebelled. He loved us anyways. He ended up sending his own son to be slaughtered so that it would pay for everything we've done. And if we just rest in that, we won't die and go to hell, but we'll have everlasting life. And he's coming back to get us and we'll be together forever, just like it was at the beginning of the story in the garden. You know, whew. okay. Get your taco and get your drink and get out of there, right? <laughs> what does Romans chapter 1 verse 16 say? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God into salvation. Not your seminary degree is the power of God into salvation. Just telling the good news is the power of God to salvation. It's what convicts are. The Holy Spirit takes that and uses it. And that guy is sitting there at home that night going, that was a crazy guy. Okay, so let's see, there's a God. Wow, okay, he loved us that much. And Okay, you know. And the Holy Spirit does the work of drawing all men to himself. So let all that pressure of being like an apologeticist or whatever, and like, let that pressure go away. And just know the story and tell the story. Tell the good news. St. Francis of Assisi, most of you have heard of him from the 1100s. Great man, had, had a ministry of compassionate service. And in his ministry of compassionate service, he said something once that has been quoted like no other, right? Uh, and that is, St. Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words, all right? And then they're like, yeah, so I don't ever have to say anything about Jesus, I just like live, you know? Um, well, the thing is, St. Francis of Assisi's method to all of his ministry, though he had a compassionate ministry, was this, unless you preach and declare the gospel everywhere you go, there's no sense in going anywhere, all right? So don't let the enemy lie to you. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel all the time by the way you garden. And just like, look, you know, that's good. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How will they believe unless they've heard? And how will they hear unless someone speakies? And how will someone speak unless they've been sent? You're being sent today to go speak so that people can hear, so that they can believe, so that can, they can be saved. All of the commission is chock full of gospel intentionality because God is chock full of it. Alistair Begg says, you either evangelize or you fossilize. And maybe the Holy Spirit would just say, do you see this in your life? You're a fossil. Just waiting, you know, until the great and glorious day. I've got a plan for you right now. In a similar vein, one preacher said, a local church is in a state of decay when going is not in the foremost of their occupations. I'll be honest with you. In me, I think I've backslidden in being missional. For me, I think I've backslidden in going, being foremost in occupation, preaching the gospel. I've been stirred this week in just conversations like, man, I just opened my mouth about the gospel again. May we all be stirred that the church would be brought out of a state of decay, out of a fossilization process, 
And that we would go about our life with gospel intentionality, knowing that everything we do is to be on mission, to be missionaries. At our work, you're on mission. You go, you, my sister made me this thing, and I, you're supposed to put it at your door. It's just hanging on my shelf right now. And it says, you are now entering the mission field. Every time you go out the door. You're now entering the mission field. Okay, you're now entering the mission field. All right, just like you go into your job. Okay, oaf electric, man, mission field. Okay, save Tony Perkison, would you? I'm kidding, no, I think he's already saved. Kendra's not here, good. Um, wherever you're at, you go into the high school, you're now entering the mission field. Gospel intentionality, missional intentionality. Those of you that are single, when you have a guy or a gal come and propose to you, it's 2013, girls do that. You think, is this going to further the mission of God? Is this marriage? Because I've been called to, you know, Afghanistan my whole life, no doubt. And this guy says, you know, he never, ever, ever will leave Crick County. Okay, you know. Is this going to help in in the mission of God and what he's called me towards? Whatever job you take, positions you take, how many kids you have, is this all going to help and and aid in the mission of God? We see that the believer's presence is an incredible evangelical tool. In Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, you know, that St. Patrick of Assisi quote can come to bear right now. But it's not in its entirety. There's also the vocal and the verbal aspect of the gospel. So the believer's presence, it is beautiful. It is a testimony. You are salt. You are light. It's not talking about doing something. Hey, do salt. You know, I don't know how to do that. No, it speaks of essence here. You are salt. You are light. You are a city. Not an action, but an essence. Reading John Stott this morning, just a good point. You know, salt, which is used for um, preservation, you know, they'd pack meat in salt so that it would stay. Um, it's used for healing. My dad, like, you know the guy in Big Fat Greek Wedding at Windex? You know, my dad was Epsom salt. You soak it in Epsom salts, you know, and you soak your bread in Epsom salts, you know, whatever. Epsom salts, right? Salt is very healing, medicinal. It's a, preser- a preserver. It's flavorful, right? That's what we are to the world. We bring flavor into the world with the gospel, right? We preserve the world through the gospel. We heal. Christ heals through us, right? Um, but whenever you see that fish or that steak that hasn't been packed in the salt, and it's rotting, and it's a carcass, and it's rank. You stupid fish, you're so rank. No, you say, where's the salt? You know, when the refrigerator dies, and that, ooh, you know, that smell? Stupid food, just a bunch of food, nasty food. And it's like, who unplugged the refrigerator? Where's the refrigerator? Refrigerator. When you see the world, and I've heard it even this week, this world is so corrupt, and going to hell in a handbasket, and this, and Obama, and blah, 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 blah. It's like, hey. Where's the salt? Where's the light? What are we doing to help? Are we doing our part? We have a mission of incarnation, just like Jesus did. He became flesh, incarnate. He became to this world. And we have a similar mission. We are the gospel lived out, acted out. We're to go into the world as Jesus did. We're to be the visible and tangible demonstration of of the life of Christ wherever we live. We're the body of Christ. We embody the presence of Christ in our culture. And so we go into the context of culture and we reach the world at its level. John Stott in his book, Between Two Worlds, The Art of Preaching in the 20th Century, said, God condescended to our humanity, though without surrendering his deity. Our bridges, too, must be firmly anchored on both sides of the chasm by refusing either to compromise the divine content of the message or to ignore the human context in which it's been spoken. 
And so as we go out into this world, as we have our presence here, we look at the context of things, all right? And we become all things to all men, yet without compromising. You go to the rodeo to preach the gospel, you slap some wranglers on so people will listen to you, all right? You go to the, you know, the Portland Trailblazers game, you wear the blade, and, and it, it brings things into, you're able to just start from there. It, Paul shaved his head in Jerusalem so that he could be a witness to people and not stumble them. You don't wear your skinny jeans to the, you know, Trace Atkin concert over here, unless they're wrangler skinny jeans, then, is Trace Atkins even a guy? We better end this thing. <laughs> Tim Keller wrote in, in a book about contextualization of the gospel. He said, contextualization is not giving people what they want. It's giving people God's answers, which they may not want, to the question they are asking in forms that they can comprehend. So we, we just, we condescend, we come to their level and, and just any ways we can think of coming to their level to present the truth in a way that's tangible, that's palatable, that they'll understand. You're not compromising the truth. You're bringing it in and you're saying, now do you understand? You don't just come in with a whole nother tribal language like, brother, have you been justified by the blood of the lamb, producing sanctification by the Holy Spirit, waiting for the rapture of the church, all to the glory of God. Hallelujah, brethren. Anybody, somebody, nobody. Okay. The Lord does work through that. But in our gospel contextualization, we understand who we're talking to. I, you're like, you don't, Rory. You really don't. We understand, we, we endeavor to understand our community. What is Prineville? What makes it tick? What gets people really excited? What gets people mad? You know, what gets people sad? What are the idols in our town? How can we address these idols? How can we make friendships without compromising? Let's bring the gospel to Prineville in a way that Prineville can understand. Where and to whom are the sent ones to go? Well, Matthew says, to all the nations... The book of Acts, that great commission, Jesus says you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. Locally, regionally, and globally. Prineville, Crook County, Deschutes County, Wheeler County, Oregon, United States of America, USA, uh, Argentina, and so on and so forth. All right? Globally. Lord, everyone here is not called just to Prineville. The local church also exists to take the gospel globally. And there are people that have never heard the name Jesus. Maybe he'll call some of us today. In what strength and what power do they go? From these various commission passages, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. So we go in the authority of our king, right? The authority was from the father to the son. Now he gives it to us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, the dynamite, dunamis power of the Holy Spirit, that we go out and have the power to even die if we have to. And we see that these powers, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, we see that it comes through intimate contact with the Lord. When did the Holy Spirit come in the day of Pentecost? When they were all... Spending time with him, you know, fellowshipping, spending time in the presence of the Lord. And he came, all right? Um, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, when Jesus appointed the 12 disciples, he said he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. Just be with me. Just be with me. And that he might send them out to preach. So before we're sent out, what do we do? We spend time with Jesus, we spend time in intimacy with him. We are almost done, I promise you. This, is, this pain will be done very quickly. In the book of Acts, after preaching and wonders and persecution had been done, John and Peter were standing before the Sanhedrin, all these religious people, and it says they, when they saw the boldness or the courage and the bravery of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They don't, look at these guys, fishermen. They marveled 
and they realized they'd been with Jesus. Don't expect to be a powerhouse for the gospel if you're not spending time with Jesus. Oswald Sanders says, We slander God by our very eagerness to work for him without knowing him. Do you know him? Have you spent time with him? In this very same passage of Acts chapter 4, we see that they were released from prison. They went back to where everybody was at. And they all prayed and they cried out to God for boldness for the next time this happened. And they worshiped God and they declared how great Jesus was. And it says, while they were praying, the place was shaken. The place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Afresh, continually filled. When did that happen? Again, they were spending time with the Lord in intimacy and in prayer. Mission is vitally connected with intimacy with the Lord. And so as uh, the worship team comes up, the question is asked, do you have a care at all for the great commission? Do you see the commission as being great? That you are sent out to some capacity. Not everyone is the same capacity that they're sent out. But everyone is sent out. And do you have a care about that? Isaiah 6, 8. Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. And so as we close right now, if you feel the Lord stirring in you to be on his mission, and you desire for him to give you the power and the boldness to speak, even though you, this, guy, this gal's untrained, uneducated, but they've been with Jesus and what they're saying is powerful. If you desire to be on mission for the Lord, why don't you just stand right now? If you just want to say right now in response to the word, Lord, here I am. I've neglected the great commission. I've called it the great suggestion. And frankly, it's not for me. But if you hear the Holy Spirit calling you out of laziness, out of slothfulness, out of selfishness, out of a consumeristic mentality of the church, and and you hear him calling you towards mission and outreach, and, and maybe you even hear him specifically today to a certain place, just stand today and just say, Lord, here I am, like Isaiah, here I am. Send me. And we're going to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers out into the harvest field. We're going to pray that even this week we'll have encounters and and we'll we'll see opportunities to just tell the gospel. We'll have opportunities to plant seeds. We'll have opportunities this week to water seeds. And we'll trust and believe that it's God who gives the increase. Lord, here we are, just those of us standing this morning, just saying, Lord, you didn't save me to just live a life of luxury. While eternity is going to be paradise, it's going to be incredible, that's not all. You've saved us and sent us. And here we are, Lord. Lord, we confess we're forgetful. This afternoon we'll be at El Ranchero and there's a gal serving us and we're thinking about nachos. And Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to not think about nachos, but to think about the woman. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, no longer do we regard anyone according to the flesh. There are souls, God. Would you use us in your beckoning? Use us in your calling. Use us as ambassadors. Empower us, God. We look to you as the sovereign Lord of the universe, heaven and earth. We wait in expectancy during this final song for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Not that will result in 
hype and uncontrollable throbbing or anything like that, but you say the purpose of the outpouring is for boldness to be martyrs. Lord God, give us that. I am weak, Lord, and I am lazy, and I'm forgetful, and I just long to love the commission and love your call and obey it, and we all do that are standing, Lord. Those of you that are here today and you're saying, send me, Lord, but perhaps you've never been saved from your sins and God has brought you here to to hear from the pulpit, from this block of wood that's been being preached, that you would hear about a God that loves you even though you've rebelled against him and, and you've hated him and you've rebelled he loved you and he died for you and he's calling you to be forgiven and to be restored today and you right now where you're at you can just respond to him you can just receive salvation you can rest in the perfect work of Jesus substituting for you who were not perfect at all and you can rejoice today and being born again, and be giving, being given a new heart, a new life in Christ. And then you can say, here I am, Lord, send me. Make us disciples, Lord, today. Obedient disciples that would go for you. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.